and uh, we, um, when I graduated from high school, I graduated to go to the University of Minnesota and was accepted there, and uh, the Lord had a different plan. He wouldn't have that happen. And uh, I ended up instead in Hawaii for seven years. And uh, not a bad place to go, but I have to go somewhere other than Minnesota. And, um, and uh, during that time, as Barry talked about, I, I uh, found myself being trained by the Lord in things with the commission and had some men that trusted me enough to say, as an 18, 19 year old, hey, just kind of go after it. And uh, we, we used to uh, work on the high school campuses on the Big Island of Hawaii, and I saw God do things. As an 18, 19, 20 year old, but I just never could believe he could do through this little job. Right? And I am very humbled that this could be called a son in the house of God. And I'm very, very grateful to be here with you. I, um, I know what day it is today because my son Ryan, who's 32, who was born in Kiatakakua on Big Island of Hawaii, Ryan texted me this morning two words game day. Him and I are both diehard Viking fans, and you and I know that Viking fans are unique fans. We have high character. We know how to endure. We have patience. We have hope. Because it's all there's always next year. Yes? So Ryan knows he's been discipled well in the things of God and the Vikings. And so he, uh, it's always funny to me, and as I'm walking, he's going on text up on the disposable to my so, may the Lord bless the Lord tonight. All right, so, so I want to talk to you uh, about something that is very meaningful to me and, and very inviting your family represents uh, some of these things we're talking about today. Um, I'm very proud of Barry and Heidi and their family. That you and then having a chance to meet Bruce and Tina and their family and, and Carrie. And, you know, and I just want to say, as a guy... I, I haven't underdeserved this, but just kind of the space of life I'm in. I, I travel a lot. I'm out about eight to ten days a month speaking around the country and at different places in the world. And I just want to say something to you. As a flock, you are very, very fortunate to have the kind of leaders that you have here. And I, I just want to encourage you to be praying for them. All right? Don't take them for granted. Be praying for them because they're really trying to honor the Lord. And I believe that God is setting you up as a church for some wonderful, wonderful, amazing days of it. And imagine when that day comes when you're having to wrestle through, okay, we're going to have to have a second service because there's so many people. Why? Why? Because God is bringing in a harvest of people. One of the reasons you're focusing on discipleship so much right now is because they can't do this by themselves. They're going to need about 100 or 200 of you to say, I want to learn to be disciples so I can be a disciple maker. Because what happens when lost people find Jesus and they can't? You can't leave it up to them to do all the work. You've got to be the one that steps up and say, I'll take those three or four and show them how to See? And that's where God wants to, to lovingly push us. You ever notice he's not a God that just has to stay in the same place? You're good. Yeah, was, come on. Uh, Abraham, leave your father's house, and now I'm going to take you to a land you do not know. Um, today I want to share with you a story. It's a story with great meaning. And uh, it's a story I learned when I was 18 years of age. I, I learned this, you know, sometime in my first year when I was Hawaii. And next to, next to the stories of Jesus and the things in Scripture and stories of my family, which I love to tell, it is my favorite story in my life to tell. 
I want to share it with you today. And so you can follow along. I've got some pictures and things here that you can see. But it's a generational disciple-making story. It's a story about um, a young man that we're going to walk you through here that uh, has an effect in people's lives even to this morning in this place, 200 years later. How would you like to know that your life so counted not only where you live, but where you're in heaven two centuries later is still making an impact? That is an impact of life. I want to share with you today a story about that. So if you look at this first scripture, which you, you might remember it's in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said this to his disciples just before he goes back to heaven. He said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But one of the things that I would encourage you to do some, at some point in time when you have this opportunity is the next time you're with a globe, you know, a globe that you find at school or in someone's home or in an office, take that globe and kind of spin it and find where Israel is and then find where Jerusalem is. Because this is where Jesus said this. So he said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part here. And when you get to that part of the globe and you go on the other side, this is what you see. That's what you would see. That's the exact opposite side of Israel. And you know what that little dot is there in the middle? That's the big island of Hawaii. You understand that biblically, Hawaii is the uttermost part of the earth. So usually when we think of Hawaii, we think of, you know, coconuts and palm trees and ukuleles and, you know, hula girls and ocean breezes. And, but biblically, Hawaii is the uttermost parts of the earth. Does that not look like an uttermost part? Look at all that. I mean, it's literally the most isolated place in the whole world. It's 2,500 miles from the U.S. continent. It's about 900 to 1,000 miles from another set of islands. It's the most isolated place in the entire world. And biblically, it's what Jesus was speaking of. And so the story I'm telling you today lets you realize that what your God said he would do, he's done. He's reached the uttermost parts of the earth through his disciples. Now, I want to introduce you to somebody. This young man, I want you to say this with me, so just repeat after me. Opu. Okay, that was me. Here we go. Opu. Kaha. Ia. Opu. Kaha. Ia. Okay, that's the name of this young man. Opu. Kaha. Ia. And it means in Hawaiian, split stomach. How'd you like that to be your name? All right. But they believe he got that name for one of two reasons. Either he was born uh, in 1792, which, by the way, would be the time in history where George Washington was beginning his second term. It's when the French Revolution was happening. It's when the state of Kentucky became state, 1792. He was born, and either his mother had a kind of a hard C-section, or there may have been a chiefess in his tribe that died of giving birth that way, and, and it was a name that was meant to honor her. But Okukahaia is his name in Hawaiian. And I want you to see this next slide is, is a picture of the big island of Hawaii. Now, if you've never been, how many of you been to Hawaii before? Okay, nice. All right? So if you look up in the right-hand corner, you'll see there's the big island, which is the island of Hawaii. But the folks that call it the big island, because it's a big island. All right? It's 93 by 76 miles. So when you think about that, it's not huge compared to our big, big island of New York. All right? But then you have Maui, and you have Molokai, and and Kahulabe, and there's Oahu, and then that's where Barry grew up, on the very edge of Hawaii. All right? That's where he, he grew up. 
So this is the big island of Hawaii. And on the bottom there where that red X is, by that little community there where we used to go, uh, Barry and our team and Heidi go through there to minister on a high school campus there, it's called Na'alehu. And it's in that area where Okukuri was born. And this next picture is a picture of that area. So you can see this little lava rock is the palm tree goes and notice the color of the sand. Black. It's a black sand beach. On the big island, you have white sand, black sand, and green sand beach. And so here's this, this little area right here is where Okukuri was born in 1792. Let me just tell you a little background here about Okukaiya in the time he was born. In 1792 in Hawaii, it was it, the islands were separated. They each kind of were their own ruled by different chiefs. And there was a man by the name of King Kamehameha who began to bring the Hawaiian Islands together. He would, he would win the island of Oahu and he would win the island of, of uh, Maui and then he set his sights on the big island of Hawaii. And so the battles of his chiefs and the, and the warriors on the big island would begin to fight. Well, in this and something that's really important for you to understand in light of the bigger story I'm telling you, they, they were ruled under something called the Kapu system, K-A-P-U, Kapu. And it's kind of like our word that we might say taboo in some way, right? Kapu system. And, and there were some real blessings to it. They had wisdom on how to handle the waters, all right, so that the, that the fish could be there for generations. And the land, for a Hawaiian person, the word aina, A-I-N-A, aina is the word for land. And for a Hawaiian, it would be kind of like a relative in the sense of how they would speak. Because that's all they want. They have the land, the sky, and the sea on this little island. And so aina, land, was very, very valuable to them. Well, during this time in the Kaku system, they, the, the blessing of the Kaku system was it, is it tended the land and it tended the ocean well. So that it would be taken care of, not only for them, but for other generations. But there was also a very, if I can use this word purposely, a demonic side to this. Why? Because it was not the thing that God was really bad for. For example, if King Kamehameha or another warrior happened to walk by and let's say I was standing here, and, or, or let's put Bruce here, all right, and I'm King Kamehameha, and I walk by and the sun's shining this way, and my shadow lands on Bruce, he's immediately you're gone. Alright? But, but here's what the belief was. The belief was that when my shadow hit Bruce, my mana, M-A-N-A, my spiritual part of my being was He stuck some of it out of me, and the only way I could get it back is he must die for the reason. And so throughout Hawaii, there were these altars, would be the best way to, to call it. But think of like 100 yards by 50 yards, maybe three to ten feet tall altars, something like this. Let's go down. Let's go another picture, one more for Something like this. This is in Kealakekua Bay, and it's called Kikiao Heao. And the, the, the pieces of it are still remaining there yesterday, but it was a Heao. And so Bruce, because of what just happened, would be brought up there, and he would be laid on an altar and killed. And so there's, there's this human sacrifice to the dynamic that is going on in the culture. And men and women could not eat together. Like one of the secrets is one time, like one of the no-nos that a woman could not eat was bananas. And she wanted to try it, so she sent her little Hawaiian serving boy over to get a banana, and he was caught bringing it back to her. And because she was a cheapest, they spared her life to eat if he died on an altar like this. So it was a very frightening kind of fear-based culture. 
that was going on at the time. So this is what Uncle Teddy had grew up And so he was, he knew what this was like and he was familiar with this. And the thing that I want you to understand is during this time, let's go back to that slide with the map on it. Thank you. So during this time, the warriors come into his village and his father and his mother run and they hide. And they're hiding in a cave and the warriors are killing the people. Well, what ends up happening is they get thirsty from being in this cave. So the dad kind of goes out, you know, like this and he finds some water. And as he's coming back, they have noticed this man coming out of this cave. And now they have the, the father with the mother and Obukai in the little bit with knife next to the throat. And when the man sees this, he, he comes running and they, and Obukai, so this poor audience here that's David, but his entire family is like that right in front of him. And he took his little brother, headed to the hills, right after he saw mom and dad gone. And he headed to the hills, and a warrior's spear landed in the back of the little brother and killed him. This young boy, Opakari, is now in the country. He's all by himself. And for the next couple of years, you see that little one that's up at the very top in the area called Kohala, in northern of the Big Island. The warrior that killed his family, brought him into his home and raised him for the next couple of years. Imagine waking up every day in the face of the man that killed his family. And so this is, this is the life of Okutaria. This is what he is. He's this orphan boy. He's lonely. Well, one day, his uncle, his mother's, mother's brother, is he picked up him. Let's go back. That perfect. And, and He's traveling, he's a kahuna. Now, we, sometimes we think, oh, you're the big kahuna. We need to understand in Hawaiian, the kahuna is kind of like this, this spiritual leader, but spiritual leader meets witch doctor. It's kind of a way to think about it. And the kahunas were the ones that would work on these pick and different things. Well, he, he would travel the island to understand the spiritual condition of the island. And he was up in Pahala one day, he noticed his Okokoli. And he didn't, he didn't, he thought he was dead. He didn't know. He found him and he brought him back down to that blue rat right there, Ganapitua Bay. Let's go back to that slide now with the Hayao there. So, this was the bay that he brought him down to, and Opakari's uncle was the guy that was the head of this bay. And so, you know, he starts training young Opakari to become the next human sacrificing country. So, this little boy with a comfortable home and loving family goes to, to being an orphan to being raised for the next two years by the man who killed his family, and now he's being trained to become the next Kahuna on the island of Hawaii. And so when you read about this, he, he would be up in the middle of the night and they gave him chants. They would have to chant certain things that were the chantings of, of the human sacrifice. And so here's his 14, 15-year-old boy. Isn't God good that he brings us to points in our life where our whole destinies can change? And on a given day, right there in the Galapagos Bay, we see that next. Go back to that one again. And that, thank you, thank you so much. Is in fact a ship, a ship from the Indies, that's called the China, comes into the harbor. Well, at the 15, 16 year old boy, he's curious, and so he, you know, he's familiar with the water and swimming, and so he swims out to the boat, and he, he's brought onto the boat, and he meets another young Hawaiian boy there named Kupu who had been picked up along the way as well. And they converse, and of course, they can't understand, you know, the, the sailors because they are you know, Americans and they speak English and these boys are speaking Hawaiian. But through signing and different things, long story short, he invites the captain, Captain Britton, who, by the way, is the follower of Jesus. 
invited this young boy to go with him. And he learned a little bit about his story because he liked to go with us. Well, finally, the uncle exchanged for a hog that he could offer up as a human as a, as a hog sacrifice to his God. He allowed it to be with him. So here's this young boy, young orphan boy, who gets on this boat. And as he gets on this boat, he meets a man by the name of Russell Hubbard. This is the only picture that we have of Russell Hubbard. He's a Yale College student who decided to take a semester off and just to go on an adventure. And so he got on this boat just to sign up like he's a first mate and just to serve on the boat. He's a young man in those years. And he meets Opakaiya, who's now, you know, so to speak, the second mate on the boat. He's just serving. And he begins to teach him English using the script. And it's the first introduction that this 16-year-old boy has to anything outside of the world that he's ever known as a concrete system, a worshiping false god, God made of stone and wood. Well, he's on this boat for quite some time. He goes up to the Seal Islands. He goes to China. And then the boat comes back through Hawaii, all the way down South America, and it lands in New England. And he gets off the boat in New Haven, Connecticut. When he gets off the boat there, he'd be, he's, he's kind of serving as a, as a, not quite a display, but something like that. He would be very foreign to the lily white people of New England. They're this whole striking Hawaiian boy. He's now maybe 17 years of age, and he's just serving. Well, one day, he's sitting on the steps of the old He's crying. He's been there maybe a year. And he the next slide. This is a drawing that happened back in the day. And they couldn't say Obukaya, so they called him Obukaya. Obukaya, and they named him Henry. All right, you know, that doesn't sound about right. I can't say Obukaya, so let's call him Henry. All right? So he became known in the culture as Henry Obukaya. All right? So during this time, Obukaya is, this blessing covered him, instilled something in him of a want to learn, a want to learn. And one day he's sitting on the steps of Yale College and he's, he's weeping. And a man by the name of Edwin Dwight, who was about 44 or 5 years old, and he was a, gra- he was a graduate, and his graduate studies at Yale, and he just happened to walk by him. And, and he said, Young man, why, why are you weeping? And he was broken in English, and he was still learning. He said, Because no one gets me to learn. And where he found him, if you look at the next library, he found him at Connecticut Hall. I was just there, but after all these years of telling the story, Finally, last December, I was speaking in Boston, and I went up a few days early, and for two days, I took them all the locations where the Pelier was. And so I've told this story for years, but last December, this is the oldest building still standing in Medicaid Hall at Yale University. It was on one of these little doorsteps where that encounter happened. So it was fun for me to be there and to experience the distance that was in, and God has preserved this building, I believe, really for this story. The oldest building on the map. Others have been torn down, but for some reason, this thing is So, what happens is Edwin Dwight begins to take him into his dorm room in this very building, and he begins to help him with English and with learning. And Opakay's whole world is now beginning to explode with new knowledge. It's blown his mind beyond the Papu system and the false god and his tragic early life. And he's beginning to learn and grow. Well, as this goes on, he meets, he meets another man, Timothy Dwight. And this guy is a distant cousin to Edmund Dwight, same last name, distant cousin. Do you know who he is? He's the president of Yale College. 
And he heard about this little Hawaiian dude that was kind of hanging around campus, and he takes an interest in and he invites him to come to live in his home. If you start show the next slide, this, this home is no longer here, but this is the home where he lived. It was the president's home that we were called. And that's where he lived. And he began to, to watch this family and, and, in, and some of the journals that Opakayu wrote down, this is the first time I saw men and women sitting and eating well together. Blew his mind. He said they would pray every morning and every night. They became part of his what is called in Hawaii Hanai, which is kind of adopted family, his Hanai family, one of two Hanai families. And, and, and so imagine the president of Yale College being invested in that. So here's this young Hawaiian boy who said, now by the age of 20, from about 16 to 20, has had three disciple makers. So he doesn't know Jesus yet. But they've been discipling him in the things of God, and his mind and heart haven't quite come up with it. Well, then, after that, he meets this guy, Samuel Mill. Samuel Mill is just a kid older than Opakaia, and this guy was born, and his mother kind of prophesied over him when he was born in 1800. Remember, guys, in our country, we do short term missions. It's not a brainer that churches do short term missions. They didn't have that back in the day. Matter of fact, we hadn't sent any missionaries as a country by this point. We're now at about 1810. And so this dude's mom, when he was born, said, I believe this young man is called to the nation. And he grew up because of his mom's prayers and God's work in his heart. We have heart to go to the nation. And one day, when Edwin Dwight had him in Connecticut Hall, Pouring into him, there's a knock on the door, and this big guy opens the door and says, Hey, come on, in, come on in. And there's Oprah Hayden, and, and Samuel goes, like, Who's this guy? Because he's an international heart, you know. And he says, Well, this is Henry. And he begins to tell the story, Well, they become fast friends. And he invites Henry to come up to his town and pour him for it. Let's look at the next part. And you'll see. And you look kind of right in the middle, and you'll see at the top of Lipsfield County, and you'll see Torrington and Big Letters right below it, this Torrington. And so he takes him up to this little town, Torrington. Do you know God can do big things in little towns? He takes him to this little town, Torrington, where he introduces him to his dad, Samuel Mills Senior. He's a pastor, and he's a jolly guy, big sense of humor, big voice, and pastor knows the word of God. And they begin to enter into his life. And in this church, in this church, in about 1812, 1813, over 30 years, he gives his life to Jesus Christ. And he becomes the first Hawaiian Christian. And he gives his life to Jesus and he's baptized here in this church. That still stands today. And God begins to do a work in his life. And the men that begin to invest in him begin to ratchet up and they begin to pour. There's other men I'm not telling you about. There's about eight guys that begin to pour the things to Jesus in his life. And at the time, you guys, in this long paradigm, but, it, but it, it's what happened, in New England, they believed that, it, that an islander was a savage, that they could not win. And so when Opakaya gives his life to Jesus, well, not only does he learn English, but he learns Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. And people are blown away at what this young man is becoming in front of them now with every young 20-something. And he gives his life to Jesus, and, and Samuel Mills is going, Dude, what if we bring the gospel to your people? And Opakaya begins to pray about this, and in his journal, he read that he would be up in the middle of the night weeping for his people. And he would get Hoku, who was on the boat with him, who also spoke Hawaiian, 
And they would get together in the middle of the night, they would cry out, and they would say, Lord, our people have only known stone that and wood that they, they don't know it's coming all the time. They know I'm not a Jesus. They begin to long for his people who he saw through the lens of their lostness to bring the gospel of Jesus to them. And so Samuel Mills was stoking this fire inside of him. And so what happened, the very first mission school in the history of our country was launched for Oklahoma. And for other folks from the Polynesian Islands and some Cherokee, you got people from our state of Tennessee that were the very first ones. And let me just show you the next slide. The little wooden building, this is a little, little model of it that was built where all these natives were brought together in a little tiny town of Cornwall, Connecticut. God does big things in small town. And in Cornwall, Connecticut, I visited there in December, and you drive down, you know, the, the main drag, there's a, a couple little things and a couple little things, probably about a third of the size of your community. And that's where they all were brought to me. They operated out of this particular place. And when I was there, you go to the next slide, that building is no longer there. There's a church back there. You can barely see it, but in the left-hand corner there is that stone that I have pictured there. And on that stone is this. It's the site of the first foreign mission school. This is in the history of our country, all right? Which from 1817 to 1826 trained young men of many races to act as Christian missionaries among their people. And this school was launched because of open time. And because they saw his desire to bring the gospel back to what we got this time called the Sandwich Island, when, they, when Hawaii was discovered, they named it after Earl of Sandwich, it was called the Sandwich Island. And so that's what it was known as, and the locals told them it as Hawaii, but that it was known as the Sandwich Island. And so they begin to train him. And he, you know, as I told you, he's learning these things. But he starts translating the book of Genesis in the Hawaiian. He's the first one to take the sounds of the beautiful Hawaiian language and begin to write them down into an alphabet. And so God is using the young man to change Hawaii, and Hawaii doesn't know it. Well, he's in the midst of his first year of his school. He's going to be a couple years, and then him and Samuel, if you're going to get a team, we're going to go knock this thing out. But what happens is, in February, he had been in the school since morning, and in February, he gets really sick. He gets quite the speed. And it's an illness that was a tricky illness to deal with. And he's moved from that facility that I told you, and he's moved instead into the pastor's home. And the wife, Pastor's wife is a um, nurse. I need to show you that next place. So this is the home. They just got done re-paneling it to kind of give the basis that this home has, has been there since over three years in Cornwall, Connecticut. Well, he improves a bit, but then he takes a bad turn. And at the age of 26, over three years of heaven, everybody's shocked. People are like, what? He was like, he was like the guy that everybody was around and at 26 years of age, he passes away. And on his deathbed, Hopu and his friends are all gathered there, and, and he pulls Hopu over and he says, you need to go. And Hawaiian says, you need to go. Because I, I see I'm not going to be able to go. And one of the last things that he said, he said, oh, oh, how I long to see Hawaii. But I think I never shall. God knows what's best. And with that, he passed, and he passed with a smile on his face. And I'll come back later in a minute. He passed away with a smile on his face. New England was in a state of death. 
the Christian community did. They said there had never been so much money raised for missions. And this, by the way, is the home that we pastor in. And there had never been so much money raised for missions. That's momentum. The first missions team had gone out in 1812 to India, so he was around New England. And that happened, and Samuel Mills was helping the guys do that. Well, he ends up passing away. And if I show you here next, this is where he's buried in, in Concord, Connecticut. This is a very old picture taken, but this is where he's buried. It's the biggest you know, tombstone there. And if you go to the next slide, this is a picture I took in December. It's still there today. And if you roll one more slide. So this is what's on top of it. You can see a little better here on the right, but this is what was written on top of it. People were grieving, and they were in shock. And he's buried like the next day. And, and they created this and ended up putting it over there. It says, in memory of Henry Obukaya, a native of the Kabbalist of Hawaii. And it talks about his arrival in this country gave rise to the foreign mission school, of which he was a worthy member. He was once an idolater and designed for a pagan priest, remember in his story, but by the grace of God and the prayers and instructions to stop from making as pious friends, he became a Christian. He was eminent for piety and missionary zeal when almost prepared to return to his, turn to his native isles to preach the gospel. God took him to himself. In his last sickness, he wept and prayed for the light. But was submissive, he died without fear, with a heavenly smile on his countenance and glory in his soul. February 17, 1818, age 26. This was a turning point uh, in history here related to missions. Samuel Mills, at this very time, was on a boat helping rescue some, some slaves in Africa, still passionate about what God was doing, and on his way back from Africa, and boating after that sea died. And so here, within, within months of each other, the two pioneers of this Sandwich Island mission team that everybody was all about, God. So when I was up there in Cornwall, go to the next slide, I found this, and, and a friend of mine knew where this was. And if you look in the back, like in the middle there, you see the house, you see the driveway, you see the cars back there. And, and the guy said, dude, this is, this is his birthplace. This is where his home was. It got burned to the ground. But you said, you have to look for just under some bushes is this memorial. And it's in somebody's front yard. Actually, when I was stopping and taking pictures, the guy walked up and I said, can I help you? I said, hey, I just, I'm just aware of family and there's a whole thing. But here's this little monument. Look what it says. Birthplace of Samuel Mills Jr. and it is pioneer of Christian And so both Opakaia and Mills are taken out. They're gone. Do you remember Edwin Dwight? Edwin Dwight is the man who found him weeping on his death to Edwin Dwight took advantage of this opportunity. And what he did is he compiled all the letters that Opakaia had written to people, his personal journal. And Opakia began to write his own story, and he published a book called The Memoirs of Henry Opakia. Let me just show you this. This is what it looked like. It was published in September after he passed away in February, and it became a bestseller of its time. And it, and it, it was all over. People read the thing and were, because they knew about this man. But what began to happen is it began to stir in the hearts of people a desire to be. And, and within a year and a half, there was a team of 17 people. If you go to the next slide, a team of 17 people, 17 adults and five 
silver that murdered the ship called the Fabulous makes a dream to go to the Mentimeter Shop. Now, look at the list of here. So, look at the second one down. Daniel Chamberlain, 37, and his wife, who's a farmer, and he has five children from 13 to 1. He decided, I'm laying this down where it's not calling me to go. And he laid down his farming and took his five kids and boarded his boat. And you see all these other names? Every one of these other names that are couples, they were all singles. And there was a rule at the time, it's probably a good rule, you cannot go on this trip if you're single. So they'd all been through training. They all felt like they were to go. And what literally happened was kind of like, hey, uh, I feel called to go to the Sandwich Island. I know you do. I kind of like you. You see where I'm going with it? And literally, all the rest of them coupled up and got married. The team leader up there, Hiram, Bingham, and Sybil, they got married two weeks before the boat left. So it was literally a honeymoon cruise to Hawaii, if you know what I'm saying. So what happened is these guys all decided to go, and then Hopu, they called him Thomas, Honolii, Kanui, and then another guy that wasn't really a part of the trip, but was a prince from Hawaii. They, they boarded the boat as well. And they went to this place in Boston. I, I just was near here uh, last week. Park Street Church. There's what it looked like back in the day. That's what it looks like today. And on, on the wall, on the front of the building, you'll see kind of a white plaque there. And on that plaque, it says, this is the place where the Sandwich Islands mission is prayed out today. When they prayed for that group of 17 people and five children, they laid hands on them. It was really interesting because they didn't send them as a short-term mission team. They made them a church. They said, you are now a church, the people of God. And we commit to you, Hiram and Asa Thurston, to be the pastors who go in the name of Jesus and fulfill the mission of overcoming the name of God. Now, I want you to understand this is, the, this is the boat they boarded, the fan. It's an it's a image of it as a church there in Hawaii. So catch this. 164 days, 18,000 miles. And the courage that it took to go was unbelievable. Do you understand? All they knew was the Kaku system. They knew they could get to the beach of Hawaii and might die as martyrs. The, the, the parents were all upset, and you know, mission parents today do this as well. When kids are looking at missions, it's just that here is the line. Isn't there enough problems right there in our own neighborhood? Why do you have to go way over there to savages for peace that can't And so the parents, but these young people, you know what the average age was? 26. The same age as over 30 years in my life. There were young people who said, I they laid aside careers. They sold the farm. They and they begin to prepare to go. 164 days, 18,000 miles. They were willing to go because they loved Jesus and they wanted to go there. Now let me just put a comment here. I'm going to pick up the story, but I want to tell you what's going on back in the Hawaii. Because I want you to understand when you obey God, He prepares a way. So what's going on in Hawaii? What they don't know, because they didn't have the internet, they didn't have Fox News and CNN, is Kamehameha, Opakuriya goes to heaven in February, King Kamehameha passes away in May. When he passes away, it changes a lot of things. The queens, with the new queen, Kamehameha's son, they decide to test out the top food system and they eat together. And when nothing happens, it begins to build anything. The high priest on the island, the time the name of heaven, he said this, somehow he prophesies about this, I don't know, 
And he says this, the next religion, he said, all we do is that there was, there was one God and not many gods. And I knew that at some point this would happen. And here's what he said, the next religion will come to us in a black box in a language we do not know. So just remember that in a few minutes. And he declares it among the elite. The elite is the one who is and so, all of a sudden, there's this hand happening in the light, and they're open. He begins to burn the hand. And what was there that opened to another is beginning to be torn down. But the missionaries don't notice. They're on the boat coming. Well, when they get there, if you go to the next slide, so here's the map of light. So they come up. So where you see the big island up there on the right-hand corner, they come that way, and they go up around Havi at the top. And where that blue X is there, Kauai Bay, they begin to stay into it. And when they stay into it, they see this. It's here today. This is a massive hail up at the top here. This hail was built there by King Kamehameha, and he wooed his greatest enemy into that place so that they could test him and he put the greatest enemy on that altar to sacrifice him to dedicate the altar to the Baptist. And when the, the missionary came around for him, this is what they saw. And they realized. This is the real deal. And by the way, if you like this story, you can go on Google and you can type, type in Thaddeus Journal and you can read the 164-day journal that they were coming. And they were preparing for this. And they were ready to die for Jesus if they needed to die. And they find this way out. Here's an old drawing of the time of what it looked like when Thaddeus came in there to Wyoming Bay on March 30th, 1820, after 164 days. So what happens is they, they, they take a canoe or a little boat off the Thaddeus and they lower the first mate and hopefully And they send it to shore and they said it was the longest three hours of their lives because they didn't know what, what would happen if they would ever see them again. But they sent them off in the name of Jesus and they hit land and after three hours they see their boat and Hawaiian canoes paddling out to them. And when they pull the Hopu on board, he's so excited because he now knows what you know, and there's all this stuff. Hopu starts speaking in English, or in Hawaiian, with a promise right down, we can't understand you. And they look at the first mate and first mate, and the man is dead, the hails have been burned, and the gospel has been lost. God had gone ahead of them. After a couple days, they sail down the Kona. Let's go to the next time and see where that little area is. So this is a picture today of Kona, Hawaii. That little, you see where the waves are breaking up there on the right-hand side? There's a little gap down there. That's where Barry and Heidi and Cheryl and I remember. Right there. Pointing in. Well, this is what's there. You see the little arrow there that's pointed? There's a, there's a rock underneath there that's, most of it's buried under the pier today. But that rock, you go to the next side. Today it's called the Plymouth Rock of Hawaii. When the ship landed, but that is under, that's where they stepped off. And you know what they were carrying? They were carrying a black box. And in that black box was a Bible in a language they did not know. And when they presented that to heaven, heaven, and the elite, heaven, heaven said, This is that of what I was speaking. Do you understand when you obey God makes a way? And oftentimes you don't see God making a way because they're not willing to step out of But in a very short period of time, this church, next picture, please. This church called Makuai Tower Church was built. And you see some of the black stones in there? Those are old hail stones. So what they did is when they burned the house, they took those and they mixed it with 
quarrel, the wife and they built this building at the customer and looked at God as taking from who we were to who we are today. That church is still there today. I preached at it recently in the Kuai Power Church. Go to the next slide. So this is the sign that you see on the wall as you enter into it. The first Hawaiian Christian, Henry Opukaria, died at Cornwall. First missionaries and it names the missionaries to serve months in the hall of the state of Israel. And God begins to move with unbelievable might and power. Um, so let's go to the next slide. Now, I want you to do a little exodus. Today, this is Hawaii Volcano National Park. I don't even pay any attention to the news, but this volcano is still away. I think you need to go away. Well, at the time, some of the elite, four years in, the missionaries bringing the gospel and health care and education, some of the elite didn't like it. They wanted to go back to the old Hawaiian ways and worship the false gods and all that kind of stuff. But well, it was a cheapest by the name of Papiolani, and she wanted to prove that Jesus was Lord. So what she did is she walked from Kona. See that on the left side there, Kona? She walked all the way down to that exit, which is about 90 miles, on lava rock, and she decided she was going to challenge the volcano guns, because that's who they all reverence. And they were all the Hawaiians would pick it up, and no, 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 she's going to swallow you up in the volcano, and all this kind of stuff. And she said, this, if she does, then worship her. But if she does not, you need to worship Jesus. And there's a very famous, famous painting I want you to see of her standing with her Bible over the volcano declaring this, Jehovah is my God. And when nothing happens spiritually, it lifts everything wide open and the gospel begins to move with great power and light and the divine life, which is again the other part of the earth. I want to take you quickly to Hila. The opposite side of the island, right there, we see the X. Let's go to the next slide. In Hilo, there's this church, Harley Church. And it was planted because God began to move in Harley Church. And within three years, from 1838 to 1840, 12,000 people in a little town of 100 gave their life to Jesus. Can I say this again? God likes to do big things in small towns. And Hilo now is the second largest city in Hawaii. And most people don't know the reason it grew is because the revival was there and everybody moved from the surrounding areas to Hilo so they could be together in Christian community. On one day, the, the spiritual leader there baptized 1,709 people. Imagine one day if God could do that here and Bruce and Barry would carry it. Okay, we're tired. Who wants to take a trip? 1,709 people. God wants to do big things in small towns. Overall, and I'm going to summarize this for you, in a period of 40 years, we have missionaries got to between 80 and 90 percent of Hawaiian Islands. God moved in this nation. They want the third king, the third generation from Samaria. So the next body. He declared the state motto. You see that on the bottom there. It sounds like this: Uamau Kea Okaaina Ikapuna. And what it means. Is the life of the land is the country That's still the state motto of Hawaii today. If you watch Hawaii 5 and you see on the floor there, if you ever look kind of at the headquarters, the Garrett's headquarters, right? You see on the floor there, you'll see this very seal. It's still the seal today. And it represents the mighty move of God and what God has done. We just look really quick at the next one. I'm just going to make a 15 second statement. I'm not going to get into it today. But the grandson of the, of the, of the missionaries. Ended up doing some things that really hurt the name of Jesus and caused In 1893, that date was one of the worst dates in Hawaiian history for Hawaiians. In the United States, in a coup, took over Hawaii. Because it's, it's last, uh, cheapest, um, clean, really, of 
colonial prisoners that it's a bad mark on our country, actually. But God still moved. He continued to do things in the for the next slide. Right here where the X is, come up. You go to the next slide. This is what you would see from the air. Now, once you see the X up there and the X down, the X up at the top, you look just to the left, you see the little thing coming off? That's the, that's the pier. That's where they stepped. All right, that's the pier. But I want you to see this because where that big X is on the bottom, that is today Wyoming, the University of the Nation's campus. And where that X is up at the top is Wyoming Pips. Literally, you could throw a baseball from where that thing is standing there and hit it where the fattiest thing is. And that's where ships go around the world to bring the gospel. And here's what I want you to begin to understand. Take a look at this picture. This is the plaza of nations that used the mission. All those flags represent the different nations of the people that are currently on that campus. And so and I were there three years ago. We were invited by a pastor of McCoy Town to come to an event. You need to come to this, this 20 year event, Mike and Gupakaria. And I said, Does he ever know what you're talking about? Did you don't know about his bones? I said, no, what, what are you talking about? He said, his living relative, who's now a friend of ours, one night the Lord showed her in a dream she needed to bring his bones from Connecticut back to Hawaii and be reburied there so that it would be a testimony to the Hawaiian young people for that to do. And so I, if you go to the next slide, I'm not just next to them. And here I am, and there's Okutaiya, the honoring him, but sitting in front of me is one of my mentors, a man named Warren Cunningham, the founder of the mission. And I see this, and all of a sudden the Lord goes like this. And I see it. Opukai is the young man from the island who cried out to God to move in the island. And 200 years later, why of all places in the world does God choose a 93 by 76 mile island to put the hub of the largest mission organization in the world? And I'll tell you why. Because God wanted to stand uttermost parts, I can do this. And he honored Obukaiya. You understand that a life well lived, being discipled and pouring your life out for others, can not only cause you to affect people today, but 200 years, did the Lord not come back? That may be that your story, like Obukaiya today, can be told. Here's a picture of where Obukaiya is buried today. You see the blue waters in the back? That's where he's going out to the ship. It's right here after the end of the day. So today he's been reburied right here. And it's a testimony to the people of Hawaii. Look at this scripture, Isaiah 42. Sing to the Lord a new song. He's prayed from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills with the islands and their inhabitants, let him give glory to God and declare his praise in the islands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. The man of war, he stirs up his wheel, he cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foes. Let me say this to you. In Hawaii right now, the people of Hawaii and the big island, they're crying out with this word, Lord, Hanaho. Say Hanaho with me. Hanaho in Hawaii means do it again. It's something like if you're at a concert and you want to be on board, you might cry Hanaho. But they're saying, Lord, Hanaho, do it, do this again. Is why he needs to be rock once again. Now, one of the last thing I want to share is this. One of the things I've always wanted my whole life since I learned this story and I've never been able to find it, find it is I said, I want to get a copy of one of those original 1818 editions of the memo I was attending with, but I could never find it. And two years ago, I was online and I saw this. Four inch by six inch foot. 
and I write to God and said, is this like one of the originals? He said, this is one of the original copies, and so I purchased it. I wanted to bring it today to show you that I didn't have my bag. All right? I usually bring it to a glass case. But if you look at it, this is what it looks like. Go to the next slide. Here's the little drawing of him, and you can see the memoirs, and it's in. I have a friend who's a book expert, and he said to me, Dave, there's 60,000 copies of this printed. Do you know you have one of those 500 or 500 And so we had it fixed up, and we plan in the year 2020, which is the 200 year anniversary of the coming of the mission, to loan to our pastor friends in Hawaii. So when they tell the story and celebrate, they can go back and say, that's one of the original books. Is the story of the three years old. Okay, and then the last slide here, let me say this to you. Here's a few takeaways as we close. And by the way, let me just say this to you. Carol and I go every February, we take a group of people with us, and for four days, we go to those places I told you, and we let Hawaiian people try the stories. If any of you in a cold February day have an interest in going with us, literally, we should have about two or three spots left to walk into town and go experience what God has done in Hawaii and people do that. Here's, here's the lesson you can learn. First of all, God is faithful to fulfill His word to the end of the It's happened. It's happened. And God is still on the move in this generation. He wants to use you as a church. Not only in this community, but in this region. Secondly, disciple making plays a huge role in changing the world. You never know what Jesus may do to the one who's called you to invest in. These guys, they had no idea. If I used some young Hawaiian guy, they didn't know that this story and all the ramifications of it would happen because they decided they poured their lives into a young Hawaiian boy. As we obey, God always orchestrates the world. Here these young people are getting to a nation where they think they may be spotted. And instead, God has made a way and a move of God happens in fascination. And last, our obedient choices. And our sacrifice to today can glorify Jesus and continue to advance the kingdom while we are in So I want to submit this story to you as we're having God's favorite stories about what He can do. About this young man, Ukutaliya, and I want to say to you God can do big things in and through a small community if you're willing to be obedient to God, if you're willing to take disciple making seriously. You can change not any community. And the legacy of your life can be a godly legacy that goes well beyond your life. Jesus, we give you thanks for the kind of God that you are. We give you thanks, Lord, for what you're stirring in the church about this happening. God, how it changed a young Hawaiian boy, and because of the way he lived his life, it motivated others to go sacrificially and do something that just blows our minds. Lord, thank you that when we obey, you actually do prepare them. Even though we don't see it with our eyes yet, by the time we get there, you have moved on our behalf. But I pray that you would put new courage in the precious people of this world. That if you ask them to do things individually, as families, and as a church, that they would never be this praise again and say, well, we've never done it this way before. That that praise would be on the outs. And instead, Lord, the phrase would be, Jesus, we're willing to do whatever you ask us to do. And that God, you would bless this church, that Lord, you'd raise up so many disciple-makers that when you bring in new folks that desperately need Jesus and a different side of our comfort zone, that we're ready for them. We're ready to pour the things of God in them. That God, this region of Minnesota might be marked just like 
that little place, that little island of water for life. So Lord, we ask that you would do a work. Lord, we love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share this story with you.